Well, welcome to Rally, everyone. You guys happy to be here? Sweet. I am pumped to be here. I'm just going to jump right on in. So I need, by show of hands, don't raise your hand without me asking the question. I knew someone was going to do it. Uh, by show of hands, who has ever worked a manual labor job? Something like construction, landscaping, carpentry, plumbing, farm work. Okay, cool. All right, put your hands down. For those of you who did not raise your hand, you have a chance to raise your hand. Who has ever mowed a lawn, uh, worked in a garden, laid some concrete, just built something with your hands, right? Okay, cool, everyone. All right, awesome. Um, I personally love building things with my hands, um, I, and I specifically love carpentry. Um, I have a workshop in my basement. It's not very well ventilated, so I'll probably die one day from it. Um, if you go into my house, in my living room, in my dining room, like half the furniture, if not more, I've made myself, which is pretty fun. Um, and really the reason why I kind of got a love for carpentry was because I worked a carpentry job in high school. Um, and so my uncle was really cool. My uncle was the one who owned the company. Um, he owned this company that did custom woodworking and design for bars and grills. And so have you guys ever heard of a restaurant called Joe's Crab Shack? Anyone? Okay. So my uncle, he is now passed away, but before he passed away, before his company disappeared, he did all of the interior stuff, tables, wall stuff, like everything that was wood in a Joe's Crab Shack anywhere in the country, it was his company that made it. All right, so it's pretty sick. Um, one of the coolest jobs I've ever had. But for those of you who have had manual labor jobs, so you have to just understand some terminology. My job was working for my uncle, but within manual labor, you have jobs, so... I had the worst job I ever had, meaning like subcontract, right? And so I want to tell you guys about the worst job I ever had. So it's a restaurant, right, like restaurants, bars, grills. So for Joe's Crab Shack, they decided they wanted new menu holders, like the things that are on the table that, you know, you got like the drink menu, the main menu, okay? And they wanted 15,000 menu holders. Okay, and we, we had to sand them, we had to stain them, we had to assemble them, we had to seal them and send them off. They wanted 15,000, but each menu holder was made up of four individual pieces, so we actually had 60,000 pieces of wood, and my job was to sand them, all right? And we had a two-week deadline to sand 60,000 pieces of wood, all right? And so I was the grunt. I was the little guy. I was like 16, 17, 18, right, right around that age. I was not going to do that by myself. So my uncle goes where y when you need day laborers, there's a place you go, and it's called Home Depot um, or Lowe's. In Texas, there are actually people, like 20 or 30 guys, that just stand outside, and they just wait for someone to come and say, hey, I need you to work. And so I went with my uncle. We picked up three guys that were Filipino and five guys that were Mexican. All right? Most of them didn't speak a word of English. The few words that they did know, they used to teach me how to say bad words in their language. Um, and so I won't repeat any of those words. Uh, it was fun to work with these guys. I didn't know what they were saying, but they were having fun. So I was having fun because you can only have so much fun, right? And so we literally, guys, for two weeks, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, 80 hours in total, we just sanded. Like if you've used a palm sander, it goes like this. But, like, way louder. No amount of music could drown that sound out. I went to bed hearing that sound. I woke up hearing that sound. 
I woke up with like pieces of wood in my nose. I couldn't get the sand out of my hair. And the worst part was they came and like the pieces of wood came in these huge boxes. And we would like finish off 10 of them like, praise God. And then my uncle would go, oh, there's 10 more over there. And it was just like, <sighs> like I was losing my mind, all right? And so we're doing this. We literally sanded for eight hours a day, bless you. That's what I did a bunch. I sneezed a bunch. Uh, to so much sawdust. Um, and, and it was like the most menial. It was the worst job in the world. I mean, you cannot distract yourself doing that over and over. There's no, there's nothing that changes about that. There's no new way to sand this, right? <laughs> and I'm working with these guys. And I remember it's like the end of the two weeks. It's payday. We're all excited to go, you know, do whatever. And I, and I the one guy who could speak the most English kind of says, like, I don't know how, I don't remember how, but I found out how much they got paid, and I realized these guys who were day laborers got paid more than me. I'm like a 16-year-old. You can imagine how I felt. There's a story in the Bible that we're going to talk about tonight that is eerily similar to my own story, and it's one that Jesus tells to his disciples. We're going to read it, and you're going to go, oh, I see that. So Jesus is talking with his disciples, otherwise known as his small group, the very thing you guys, I hope, are in, right? And they have come to him, and they said, Jesus, man, we've left everything to follow you. We've left our families, our friends, our jobs. Are we going to get anything, right? And, and they're, they're asking a really real question. They're, they're kind of saying, did we give everything up for nothing? Like, is our sacrifice worth anything? And Jesus responds by telling them this story. It's going to be on the screen. It's Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. And so Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, or a day's wage, for the day, and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, standing at Home Depot doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. Then he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came to be paid, they expected to receive more. But each of them was also given a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the owner answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who I hired last the same as I gave you. Do I not have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I wonder how many of us, when we hear this story, feel that the landowner was being unfair. I wonder how many of us, if we were those workers, would be a little bit pissed off that these guys who worked for an hour 
got paid the same amount of me who worked for like nine hours. I wonder how many of us, if you were me when I was an 18-year-old, would have been kind of ticked off that these guys who literally just got picked up weren't even like, they were just day laborers, got paid more than me who had been there for a couple of years. Did the workers that worked all day have a right to be upset about their pay? Did the workers that had only worked one hour have a right to make as much as everyone else? Did I have a right to be upset that those guys got paid more than me? Or does the landowner have a right to give equally to all of his workers regardless of how much they worked? Does the landowner have a right to be generous with one without seeming to be generous to another? Did my uncle have a right to pay me less than these other guys? If it isn't clear, tonight we're going to talk about rights, okay? And I'm just going to tell you right up, this is the whole point of the sermon. It's going to be up here. This is what we're talking about. God has a right on your life, and you are called to lay down all of your rights at the feet of Jesus. God has a right on your life, and you are called to lay down your rights at the feet of Jesus. Tonight, we are talking about our rights, and we're talking about God's rights. Now, in the story that Jesus tells, there are two parties, and he is trying, like, like he's trying to say, hey, look, the landowner is God. The workers in the field, they're you and they're me, right? That is what he's trying to communicate in this. And so it's really cool because as the story comes to a climax, as Jesus kind of gets to like the, the, the point that he's trying to make, he has the landowner ask this question. He says, do I not have the right? Do I not have the right? Do I have not have the right to do with my possessions and my resources as I please? And if you read between the lines, though they don't actually say it, you see that the workers are asking the exact same question. Do I not have the right? Do I not have the right to be paid more since I did more? Both the landowner and the workers are in the field are asking the same question. Do I not have the right? And that's the question we're unpacking tonight. So let's start with the workers, okay? We're going to call this the rights of the workers, all right? The rights of the workers. So in this story, Jesus is saying that you and me, we're the workers, right? So what are these rights that we're talking about? What, what are rights, okay? And so I don't know about you, but the very first thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word rights is politics. No one likes it, or you, maybe you do too much, um, Right? I have the right to choose. I have the right to defend myself. I have the right to say what I want and how I want to. I have the right to live how I want to live. I have the right to be mad at you. I have the right, the right, the right, right? And, and, and we have this contentious politics that it's like, man, I don't want to get on Instagram anymore. I just liked when I saw people hiking. Like, I don't want to see, oh, it's my right. But if we actually stop for a second and we say, okay, yes, obviously we see, like, my political rights. But I think if we, if we were s honest with ourselves, another word we could attribute to rights, this one stings a little bit, is selfishness. I have the right to treat them that way. You don't know what they did to me. I have the right to be upset. They haven't apologized to me. I have the right to be hurt. And if you don't like it, well, bye, Felicia. Like, uh-uh. We talk about our rights, 
But honestly, if we take a step back, objectively look at rights, I mean, just look at the political realm. That's only negativity, only frustration, only pain. Look at people that you, like, hang to their rights. You don't want to be around them. There's negativity, just everything bad, a cloud of this stuff follows them. The people who hold to their rights the most are typically the most miserable people I've ever known. And they bring that misery everywhere they go. If you look at the workers in the story, you see that they're holding on to some rights, and it's making them pretty miserable, too. I see three things that they're holding on to, rights that they're trying to hold on to. The right to more money, the right to grumble and complain, and then the right to be appreciated. And I actually think that two of those things aren't inherently bad things, right? It's not bad to want to be appreciated for the work you've done. It's It's not bad to be paid well for the work you've done. But these guys, right, they are trying to pick up a right that they had already laid down. Here's what I mean by this. We cannot forget that these were hired workers who had agreed to the terms of the landowner. They had agreed at 8 in the morning. He said, hey, do you want to work for me for the day? I'll give you a denarius. That was not, a, like, that was, that's like if someone said, hey, I'll give you 150 bucks if you work for me today. Like, heck, yeah, I'm working. I want 150 bucks. Like, I take it, I take 50, you know. They had agreed there was no cheating of the workers for being paid less. They were paid well. They weren't, there was no lack of appreciation. He didn't just say, ha, gotcha, you worked all day, see ya. Like he gave them, they appreciated them. The rights that they felt they deserved were above and beyond what they themselves had agreed to, okay? So it was not the landowner who was to be blamed. It was the worker's own selfishness. The landowner was not to be blamed for their misery. It was their own selfishness. The parallel Jesus is trying to make is that these workers, they weren't slaves that were forced into this work. They agreed to this work, right? They agreed to work for him, and that when agreeing to him, they said, okay, I'm laying down my rights for how much I think I should get paid, and then to try and take that back up is not on the, wor- on the landowner, it's on them. Now that's them, right? That's the story that Jesus told. He's using this illustration. What does it look like in our life to hold on to our rights, okay? Um, what are some rights you guys think, like, what are things like, I have a right to blank? Just shout out a couple things. Speech, a right to my freedom of speech. What else? Comfort, right to my comfort. Sleep, hey, I, I struggle with ugh. Heather told me, Heather commanded me that I have to sleep in tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to do it. Why not? Okay, so here's some things that I, a couple of things that I, like, feel like I have a right to. This one is ridiculous. WVU's Wi-Fi. Okay. Y'all know this. You come into the lair, you open your laptop, and it just goes like, and then it gets the little exclamation point. You're like, no, like, I have to take a test. Okay, I get angry. I don't even go here. Like, I don't pay tuition. I, you guys actually pay for the Wi-Fi. I don't. I have no right to get upset about it. But I do, right? And it's ridiculous. Like, like to me, it's like, oh, they should do this for me. They don't care, but I'm the one that's miserable, right? Here's another one. This is this was so embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> I was so angry. So I tried. Heather loves Domino's. I'm a Papa John's guy, but I love my wife. So we get Domino's because it's like, a minute from my house. 
And I'm like, all right, let's get Domino's. And I like get on the Domino's app, get the whole pizza, hit submit, and it's like error. And it shoots you back. So I like do it again. Error. I'm like, let me try my laptop. Error. Heather, let me use your phone. Do it. Error. Go to her laptop. Error. And I'm just like, like I'm like getting red. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna call Domino's. I'm like, hey, I'd like your pick two five ninety nine deal. And he goes, you can only get that online. And I was like, it's not working. He's like, sorry, bro. And then he hangs up on me. And I was just like, like anger from the movie uh, Inside Out, like just fuming. And so I was like, let's just get something else. And I like go and get it. And I ate my food angrily and it did not taste good at all. I did not get Domino's. I got, I don't know what I got. No, I wasn't going to do that again. But like, see, Domino's didn't care. I thought the world revolved around me, right? Some other ones, man, like the right to be upset at someone. Dude, y'all probably heard this cliche before, but it's so true. Like, there's times where, like, Charles has said something that, like, kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stick it to him. Like, I'm not going to talk to him for two days. The only person that suffers is me. He doesn't even know that he said something. Like, my right to be upset because he said some mean joke I didn't like. Like, I'm the one that gets hurt, but he also gets hurt. Because I'm not talking to him, right? The right to my freedom of speech, said it. Uh, I am a proud American. I do believe that, you know, we have a right to freedom of speech in America, but I think that that is subservient to my, my, my role as a Christian. And so I don't actually have the right to say whatever I want if I call myself a follower of Jesus. And I've seen a lot of Christians say a lot of stuff that they wish they could take back because they were not subject to a good master. They thought, man, my right to freedom of speech supersedes even God's hold on my life. They've ruined a lot of people and themselves. My right to my free time, I've watched a lot of people hold so tight to their free time that they become lonely people. Because they, they, they only will hang out with people if it's the way they want it to be. And they end up just people who are in their room playing video games by themselves. And all their friends start dwindling away because my free time, I do it the way I want. This one's future for some of you guys, but I, I want you to hear this. The right to be angry at my spouse. I've watched people get divorces. I've, I've, I've had to walk through divorce with people because someone said, my spouse hurt me and I have a right to be upset at them. And they're not together anymore. That's scary, man. Like, you ruin stuff. What I've seen time and time again in my own life and in the life of others is that when we hold to my rights... We become selfish people. The more selfish, the more miserable, the more lonely, the more bitter, the more divided you become when you hold to my rights rather than laying them down. And if we're honest with ourselves, is it really worth it to hold on to our rights? Like, really, is it worth it? Is it worth it to lose friends and sleep and peace of mind and innocence and respect for yourself to hold on to the rights, like, I I if we're honest, we can look at the times in our life that have been the most miserable and probably trace it back to something where we say, well, I have a right to this. Really, I'm we're not going to do that, but if you want to do that later, go back. Man, I was so miserable in junior high. I have a right to have friends. No one wants to be my friend. Well, screw them. I'm going to sit by myself, right? You were, you were alone. You're miserable. We are called to lay down our rights. But we aren't just called to lay down our rights so that we're not sad people, right? Like, we are called to lay down our rights at the feet of a good 
master. We are called to lay down our rights at the feet of a good master. But why? At, like, right, why? why? Why should I give up my rights? Like, is, it's not fair that that person got paid more than me for less work. It's, it's, you know, it's not just that I was hurt and they haven't ever, like, received any punishment. No one said anything, right? It's not easy. You don't know what it's like. I've done this for all my life. Like, my family's done this. Like, you don't know what it's like to give that up. It's not fun to die to myself. Why should I give up what's rightfully mine? Am I not good enough to run my own life? Do I not have the right? Why is God worthy of laying down my rights? Why does he have a right on your life? So we've talked about the rights of the workers. Let's talk about the right of the landowner. Why does God have a right on your life? Now it's important. The question is not, does God have a right on your life? The question is, why does God have right on your life? Because the simple reality, the same way that, you know, why does gravity work the way it does? It just does. Like, why is fire hot? It is. Like, God is the only one who has a right on your life. It is a reality of the universe, a reality of God's word, right? And so some of you guys, maybe you've, maybe you've never considered that before. Maybe... You know, maybe you believe it, maybe you live like it, maybe you don't. I was telling Heather, the, the queen just passed away recently, right? She was the queen of England. Whether I wanted to acknowledge her as my queen or not didn't change the fact that she was still the queen. Jesus is the Lord of your life. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he is, okay? But why? Just saying that may not be enough to compel you to be like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, like I don't know about me if someone's like, pray, why? Because you should. Okay, I'm doing it. Like, that usually doesn't compel me, right? Why does God have a right on your life? Well, I think if I polled all of you guys in this room, I w- my, my estimate is that the number one reason most people would say God has a right on our life is just because he created us, okay? Because he created us. God, this is beautiful. God knows every cell in your body. He knows every hair on your head. He, he is woven every strand of DNA that makes you you okay he created you but on its own is god being our creator enough to say that he has a right on our life okay so think about your parents your parents they made you right Uh, they got to take part in in god creating you okay and they you didn't get to decide when you were going to be born you didn't even get to decide your name right like like they did and then they raised you and until you came here to wvu like they were your primary like creators, right? Like they create, not just your physical, but they created values and all these different things, okay? But just because they created you, does that mean that they have a right to tell you how to live your life? Do mom and dad get to tell you how you run your life? That's a big question. Another people, another reason people might say God has right to your life is because he loves you, right? The Bible says that for God so loved the world, what Tommy was talking about, that he gave his only son. His son died for us, that we might have eternal life. He did this, okay, mind you, while we were enemies. The Bible says that we were against God. We were rebels against his kingdom, and he still died for us. He loves us that much because he wants friendship with us. But on its own, is God's love enough for us to say that he has a right on our life? Okay, ladies, be honest with me. If Nick Jonas or Chris Hemsworth or Jake Gyllenhaal or any other truly good-looking man 
walked in this room right now, and he swept you off your feet, and he started just speaking sweet nothings to you, and he told you how much he loved you and how beautiful you were and how wonderful, and, and he spoke to your deepest insecurities, and he made you secure, and if he just lavished, like, the gifts that you've wanted that you've never told anyone, right, and he makes you feel loved and cherished and adored, and he's a hunk, like, if this guy comes in and loves you better than anyone else has ever loved you, does he have a right on your life? No. <laughs> I'd still let him kiss me. <laughs> no, of, of course not. Just because he might love you more than anyone else does not mean he has a right on your life. Another thing people might say is that, well, God knows everything about you. Right? The Bible says that God knows the exact number of hairs on your head. He knows when they fall off. Right? He's known you from the moment of conception in your mother's womb. And, then the vi- and, and to this day, he has known every detail that has ever happened to you. Nothing about you has escaped his notice. That is beautiful and scary and wonderful all in the same moment. But is that enough, that intimate knowledge enough to say that he has right on your life? Now, I hope all of you guys have a best friend. I hope your best friend is in this room or your future best friend is like sitting right next to you, okay? And I hope that your best friend is one of those people where like you can be so real and so honest with them. Like you can be raw. Like you can say some stuff that's like, if I said this with anyone else, they would probably not want to be my friend, right? Like, Like one of those people where you're like, dude, I've never told anyone this before, but I, I, I trust you enough to tell. Like, I hope that you have a friend like that. I hope you have a friend that, like, you know what makes them tick. You know what makes them laugh. Like, you know when they have a rash on their butt because they love you that much to share with you. I actually saw this the other day. I'm not going to say who it was, but both these people are in the room. One of them said, hey, and they either said, hey, I think I have something on my butt, or hey, I think my butt is sweaty, can you check? And then they walked away and they said, you're good. And I saw that. Like, do you have a friend like that? Like, that will check if you have swamp butt. Like, truly, okay? I want you to have a friend like that. They know more about you than anyone else in this planet does. Do they have a right on your life just because they know most about you? I think you could also say, you know, God might have a right on our life because he's the most just or he's the most wise or he's the most merciful or he's the most trustworthy, right? And you could go through, you know, God, God not only set the rules of the universe, he follows them, right? But then he's so merciful that he doesn't break his own rules, but he finds a way that within the rules to be merciful to us. And he can do that because he's so wise, right? And he's trustworthy. But are any of these aspects by themselves worthy of saying God has a right on our life. I would argue that if you only had one quality by itself, no. None of these would make anyone worthy. Just because someone is most loving, if they're not just, if they're not wise, they might love you a lot, but they don't, they don't know what's best for you, then no. In man, there's not one of these qualities that would ever make them, right? Your boyfriend, your mom, your best friend might be the most loving person you know, They don't have a right to your life. Your grandpa might be the wisest person you know. He doesn't have a right to your life. Your pastor might be the most merciful, forgiving man you've ever known. He doesn't have a right to your life. No quality by itself is enough to make someone have a right on your life. But God, this is the beautiful thing. God does not just have one of these qualities. He has all. And not only does he have them all, he has them of the highest 
order. God is most loving. God is most wise. God is most good. God is most powerful. God is most trustworthy. He created you. He loves you. He knows you. He is just towards you. He is merciful to you. He knows best how to run your life. And he can be trusted to walk with you every step. And while one quality by itself is not enough to satisfy anyone having a right on your life, all qualities being found in God of the highest order qualify him to have a right on your life. God alone has a right on your life because God alone is most loving, most wise, most good, and most powerful. Something or someone will be the master of your life. Okay? You, you, you might be your own master, right? You can try to run your own life, but you don't have a right to your own life. Your mom, your dad might try to run your life, but they don't have a right to your life. Your, your ambitions, your happiness, your money, your spouse, everything you might, might vie for, for having mastership of your life, but they don't have a right on your life. God alone has a right on your life. Going back to the story of, that Jesus told, just ask this question. Was the landowner in Jesus' story wrong for giving everyone a denarius? No. And here's why. He set the conditions. He told them that if they wanted to work for him, it would be for a denarius. And they agreed to the terms. And so in this, God was right and just. He was good. He gave what he promised. He was trustworthy, right? He didn't cheat them. I also see that the landowner was powerful enough and wise enough that he was able to pay everyone the same amount. That speaks volumes. These guys worked a day. Like he had enough money to give out of abundance to these guys. How much more so does our Father in heaven have abundance to give to us? And he was wise with his handling that he could give to everyone. And then I see that he was, the, the landowner was merciful and loving to those who only worked for an hour. These men did not deserve to be paid the same, and yet God in his mercy and love gave them the same. And so I think about my uncle, and as a 16-year-old, I didn't like that, but in hindsight, I see that my uncle was an exceptional boss. He was a good boss, he was a wise boss, and he was a loving boss forgiving these men more. These men were guys that did not have secure jobs. They went out there every day wondering whether someone was going to give them a job. And my uncle gave them a job and gave them more than they deserved. These men worked, they had families that they were providing for, right? And I'm just a 16-year-old punk who is saving my money to save my money. I had no desire to spend my money. These guys needed it, right? And these guys were being asked to do a really crappy job. Like, not they weren't doing a crappy job. It was a crappy job. And I was the grunt who had already agreed to do whatever my uncle told me anyways. These guys were be asked, being asked to do quite a bit. It was right and just. My uncle not only had the right to do with his resources what he wanted, he was right in how he used them. And how much more does God not only have a right on our lives... But he has been, is, and will be right in how he rules our lives. Guys, it is very easy to lay down your rights when you see someone 
that is good and wise and loving and capable and powerful and trustworthy. I see God, I see all that he is, and I go, why would I not? Like, I've tried to run my life, and I haven't done a very good job. I definitely don't want any other one of you trying to run my life. But I can trust him. I can trust him. God has a right on your life. God has a right to lead your life. And the most wise thing you could ever do as an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old is to lay down your rights at the feet of Jesus and then let him have the say in your life. I think the number one thing I see people have a hold up with this, with this idea of like laying down my rights, is it boils down to this. It'll be up on the screen. People think that if you give up your rights, you will get nothing in return. But that is simply not true. When you give up your rights, you get Jesus. When you give up your rights, you get Jesus. You get the assurance that there is someone who is wise enough to run your life so that you don't have to run it into the ground, right? That knows how to lead you in the best decisions. You, you're going to get job offers, and you're going to go, I don't know which one is best. There is someone wise enough to say, I know what's best, and I want to help you. You get the confidence that you are loved far beyond anything you could ever imagine, and that when all other loves fail, God's love for you will not fail. You get the joy of knowing that all things will be made right in the end. And that every injustice, every pain, every circumstance that you've experienced and seen in the world will be made right in the kingdom of God. And you get the peace of mind that God is strong enough and able enough to empower you every single day. He does not run out. You, you, you will never get to the end of his sustenance. When you lay down your rights, you get Jesus. The band can go ahead and come up. And as the band is, is coming up, we're, you know, we're going to sing two songs here at the end. I want to I show you guys two lists. Okay, so there's two lists on here. So I called the one on the left the results of holding to your rights. The one on the right, the results of laying down your rights. You can take a picture of that if you'd like. Look through it later. Wrestle through some of this. But if you look at the left, you look at the results of holding on to your rights. And you look at that and you go, okay, yeah, I see some of those things in my life. Yeah, I'm pretty bitter, lots of shame. I get angry really easily, definitely compare myself, right? You guys can get in your spot. Oh, never mind. Right? And you look at that and you go, man, that kind of sounds like my life. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you have some rights that you're holding on to that you refuse to get rid of. And it leads to a lot of this. Or maybe you look at the left side, right side, sorry, and you go, wow, I really would love for that to be a part of my life. It's not. I'd really like to have purpose. I'd like to have control of my emotions. Anyone else? Maybe, just maybe, there are some rights that you're holding on to that are not allowing you to have intimacy with Jesus. Guys, holding on to your rights is one of the deadliest things you could ever do with your life. I don't, I don't say that flippantly. It is one of the deadliest things you can do with life. And it will ruin you, and it will leave you a bitter shell of who you are right now. 
You'll be a 30-year-old just shell of who you were. But hey, you'll have your rights. No one can take them from you, right? Or by giving your rights to a worthy master and giving them to the only one who, can, who actually has a right on your life, the only one who ha- actually has a right on your life, you could make the wisest decision and the most mature decision you could ever possibly make with your life. You guys tonight could make ma- ma- mature decisions that people three times your age have never made. You could be more mature than someone three times your age. That, that's just, God is no respecter of age, of men. He respects obedience and, and desire. Okay, so how do we do this, right? How do we lay down our rights? How do we stand in the reality that God has right on our life? What I want to do, um, depending on if whether you, if you went to church, maybe, I don't know what kind of church you went to. If you didn't go to church, we're going to do something that might be like, never done this before. If you did go, you might have gone to a certain church, like I grew up Catholic, so we didn't do things like this, okay? Maybe you grew up in like a super like, yeah, like I'm running up to the front. But we're going to do something different, and I think the Lord's going to really use it, okay? So what I want to ask everyone to do is we respond tonight, and don't do it just yet. I'm just going to tell you, okay? Um, is either, I want you to either kneel, or if you're just like, man, that's so weird, I'm not comfortable, then at least sit in your seat, right? And, and you could come up here, this is what we, it's just the front of the room, but we call this place an altar, and it's where we come and lay our sacrifices down at the Lord. And there's something symbolic, that there's something real that happens in the symbolic action of, I'm going to go and move out of my seat, right? Or, or maybe you just want to kneel at your seat, or you want to kneel at the back, or maybe you just say, you know what, I'm just going to sit in my seat, Okay. And I want us to do that. No one's standing when we start the worship, okay? And then what I want you to do is I want you to hold out both your hands as if you're holding, you know, a bowl or something. And I want you to pray, whether you've ever prayed in your life, if you don't think God's real, okay, he is. And I believe he'll speak to you if you ask and say, God, what rights am I holding on to in my life? What rights am I holding on to? Okay, and so God might already be speaking to you. Some of you guys might have already like heard something, been like, like little knife to the heart, right? Maybe you just like, dude, I think I'm pretty good. Like, ask the Lord, ask Him to reveal. Okay, and then as He brings that to mind, you know, okay, God, I'm holding my right to comfort. Okay, God, and then be honest and say, Am I really willing to lay this down? Truly. Am I really willing to lay down my right to my convenience, my comfort? And don't be flippant with this, okay? God is not in the business of like, yeah, sure. Like, like he desires loving obedience, okay? And so as you hold these rights in your hand and you honestly ask yourself, am I willing to lay them down? If you are willing, you say, God, yes, I'm laying down this right. And I will do everything in my power not to pick it back up again. Then I would ask you at that point to stand. Okay? And as you stand, it's this, this something in us that's saying, God, I'm laying down these rights at your feet, and I'm standing in the truth that you have a right to my life. And I'm going to be honest. I don't want you to stand if you're not real. If that means until we go to Kegler's, until we go to play Murder in the Dark, if that means you're sitting in your seat, I would rather you be honest and work through that than stand up and say, yeah, God, I'm laying this down, and then walk out of here still holding it. 
God, then that's going to break his heart. Okay? So I'm serious. Like, don't stand up unless you are really, truly willing to say, God, I'm laying this down at your feet. I'm standing on the reality that you have a right to my life. And then what does this look like as we leave the room? Right? You say, okay, I stood up. What next? Here's some things, man. If, you, if you're laying down your right to money, buy someone's meal at Kegler's tonight. If you're laying down your right to your time, hang out with that person that always texts you that you kind of ignore. If it's the right to your privacy, offer your dorm room or your apartment for small group next week. If it's your right to be angry, call them and forgive them. If it's your right for your convenience, do something that's hard. Do 100 push-ups. Like, something. If it's your right to your relationship, dump them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't dump them. But be real with them. Say, hey, you can't be number one anymore. Jesus is number one. If it's your right to your life, maybe tonight you give your life to Jesus. and You say, God, I'm laying down my life. My life is yours. Place them in your hands, these rights, as the band plays for a few minutes, and be honest whether you're really willing to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. And then, when you are ready to lay them down, stand up and leave them there. And then walk in the freedom and the joy of knowing that your life is in the hands of the only one worthy of running your life. So they're going to play for a few minutes, and we're going to respond.